Several years ago, um, I went to Olathe, Kansas to help a good friend of mine who had planted a church uh, to get it going. And I made a, a few-year commitment just to help him uh, do leadership development. I would share the preaching, and we would just kind of spend some time trying to get that church off and running. And uh, spent about two and a half years there and just had a great, great time, fantastic time meeting in a, in a junior high school. And God blessed. The church grew. It was just a, a great time. And then after two and a half years, I left and went to Pennsylvania, where I took another church plant and worked with that. Uh, when I was about a year or so just after uh, I'd been in Pennsylvania, the, the Olathe Church called me. My friend Gary called me and he said, hey, we're going to have a big celebration. Would you come back and speak for us? And I said, oh, man, I'd love to do that. I hadn't been there for over a year and it'd be great to see old friends. It'd be great to see some of the new families who had come and all that kind of stuff. And I came and I stayed with a, a couple who were good friends of ours. And that Sunday morning we got up and we drove to church and we're sitting in the church parking lot. And or it's actually a, a junior high school. And we're sitting in the parking lot and we're, we're just kind of in the car talking. And as we're visiting, there was a, a, a woman and her daughter who pulled into the parking lot about two spaces or so ahead of us. And I, I could only see her from behind, but I recognized her as a woman that was in the church there that I used to have this real teasing kind of relationship with. I used to give her a hard time, and I know you'd find that hard to believe about me, but I would give her a hard time, and she would give me a hard time, just kind of a fun thing. And um, as we got out of the car, I told my friends, I said, why don't you guys go ahead and go on in, in, the, in the school? I said, I want to say hi to, to this gal over here uh, that I knew. And so I walk over to the driver's side window, and as I did, she had her back to me, um, and she had her daughter, had her back to her, and she was brushing her daughter's hair. And I'm standing outside the window, driver's side window, just kind of waiting and waiting. Now, for those of you who know me, I have a high need for attention and affection. <laughs> and you can do anything to me, but don't ignore me. That just kind of sends me over the edge. And so I'm waiting until finally I thought, I've waited long enough. And so I did what a normal person would not do. I climbed up on the hood of the car and I stuck my face down on the windshield and put my lips on it and I blew my cheeks out like a big sucker fish, like this. Now you got a picture, I had a double, this is back in the days when I still wore a suit, I had a double-breasted suit on with a tie doing this. And my friend, she goes, ah! You know, she just freaks her out. I mean, she just freaks her out. And as I'm st stuck on that windshield like a bug, she looks at me, and all of a sudden, to my horror, I realize it wasn't who I thought I was. <laughs> I did not know this woman. <laughs> and she did not know me. And she had no idea what this double-breasted bug was doing stuck on her windshield. Now, you, got, you can imagine, I'm mortified, mortified. You know, so I'm sliding off of the windshield, and I'm standing outside of her door, and she gets out of the car, and I kid you not, this poor lady, she gets out of her car, she's shaking. I've scared her so bad. And she gets out, what, what do you say? You know, what do you say to someone when you've just climbed up on their windshield of a total stranger? I stuck out my hand and I said, welcome to Indian Creek Community Church. <laughs> Man, they've got greeters on crack out here. They're just nuts, you know, it's just kind of stuff. And, and I, and she goes, hello, you know, and I, I walk into school and I'm, I'm just, I'm, you know, I could just feel the blood draining out of my face. I'm just, I'm just sick. 
And uh, so I go into school and I go in the restroom. <laughs> I go, oh, Steve, you've had some winners, but baby, today you really did it. You know, and I, I, I get some water on my face and I walk around a little bit talking to a few people. And then I go out on the stage in this junior high school. They have this little auditorium where they met. And I go out on the stage and I, I give my buddy Gary a hug. And we're sitting there on the stage as people are coming in and they're playing some music. And uh, this woman whose car I had climbed on comes in the very back and she sits in the very last row of this auditorium. And she's sitting like two seats away from a family, the Stevenson family that I knew very well. And um, she's sitting there and she has her bulletin and she's looking and she's just kind of looking around. And she looks up on stage and all of a sudden she sees me. <laughs> and she does one of these. And it's like, that's the bug, you know, just kind of. <laughs> And you could just see the wheels turning. I mean, yeah, she had no idea. You know, who's, who's, why is this guy on stage? You know, is this a, uh, you know, some kind of show or something? What's, you know, what's going on? And, she, and she's looking around, and the Stevensons who knew me, she's leaning over. And you can tell what she's saying. She's pointing. She's, that guy up on the stage right there in the double-breasted suit, who is that? And the Stevensons are going, well, that's Steve Childs. He used to be on our staff, but he's no longer here. And she's like, I know why he's no longer here. You know, kind of stuff. <laughs> And I'm sitting next to my buddy Gary, you know, whose church it is, and I, I just kind of lean over and I said, Gary, that, that woman in the last row in the blue dress sitting next to the Stevensons, I said, who is she? And Gary looks back and he goes, oh, I don't know. He said, I, I think she's a first-time visitor. <laughs> I said, I think she's a last-time visitor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Pride goes before, well, let's do it again. Pride goes before and that is so true. I don't know if you've experienced this, but in, in my journey, <laughs> whenever I've tried to make myself all that and a bag of chips, um, that doesn't usually work out so well for me. How many of you can understand this? Yeah. And it, you know, it's so interesting um, how pride gets us into so many problems. Um, the staff and I are going through a book together by Andrew Murray called Humility. And Andrew Murray makes the statement, he says, humility is the root of all virtue, and pride is the root of all sin. And he goes back and he talks about how in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, it was the sin was they thought they got to be like God. And we find historically that whenever we exalt ourselves, you know what? We collapse. It's only when we understand what humility really is in our lives that we live the kind of life that God really wants us to live. Now, if you're just joining us in this series, the series is called Upside Down. And we've been looking at how Jesus just kind of flips everything from how the world sees it. You know, we live in this world, you know, it's so funny, you know, playing sports all my life. It's so funny watching them interview athletes and, you know, and athletes go, yeah, you know, I've, I've worked hard to attain this. You know, and, and how we get, we can get so full of ourselves. And Jesus just kind of says, you know what, if you really want to be exalted, that's not the path. Let me give you the path. Throw that passage of scripture up on the screen. Matthew 23, 12. You want to read this out loud with me? For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, I want to I unpack this for you. And when I, when I sat down with this message this week, I, I really made the commitment that I wanted to give you some stuff that you could really walk, go home with, that could really help you in your life and relationships. Now, come on, it's just us this morning. How many of you would be honest enough to admit you probably could use a little bit more humility in your life? 
Yeah, come on. How many of you are sitting next to someone who needs a lot more humility than that? Yeah. Okay, well, take good notes for them. This, this might help them, okay? But I want to give you some real practical ways. You know, when we talk about humility, I, mean, I think we all understand what humility generally is, but what would humility really look like if we put it into practice in our everyday lives and relationships? Are you ready? Inside your worship folder, there's a sermon outline. If you want to take that out, you can take good notes for this person that needs that humility. You can do that and uh, post it up on the refrigerator where they can see it. And by the way, in the back of the pews, there's Bibles. We'll throw the scriptures up on the screen. But if you need a Bible, those Bibles are our gift to you. Please feel free to take one of those home with you today. You ready? Oh, let's unpack this together. What would humility look like if we put it into practice? Here's the first thought I want to give you. Admit your weaknesses and ask for help. Admit your weaknesses and ask for help. How many of you have weaknesses? Everybody but the liars. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Well, sometimes for some of us, it's actually hard to admit our weaknesses. And I'm, and I'm going to confess to you, honestly. When I, when I got into uh, marriage and ministry, into my adult years, I brought so much baggage with me because of where I grew up and how I grew up. I had a lot of insecurity. And it was really hard for me to admit that I had weaknesses. Um, I, when I came into ministry, there were some blind spots that I had, and it was really hard for me to get to a place that I, that I could admit that to people. But it was so interesting because as God helped me break through some of that, it was so funny how it made me such more of better pastor, better husband, better father than when I refused. To, when I humbled myself, God was able to lift me up. It was only the pride that was keeping me from embracing that. Does that make sense to you? Now, sometimes it, it's, it's not only hard for to admit our weaknesses, but can we be honest? It's a lot harder for us to ask someone for help. Amen? Now, I, I, I want you to turn to the person you're sitting beside, and I just want you to say to them, I need your help. No, say it out loud. <laughs> Somebody, it's so funny. Somebody goes, nope, ain't going to tell them that. Nope, 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 nope. Look, I want you to look at a passage of Scripture with you. Throw that up on the screen. This is from, this is Paul writing to the church in, in 1 Corinthians 12, and he's talking about how we dearly do, really, really do need each other. He says, the eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you, and the head can't say to the, to the feet, I don't need you. Read this last sentence out loud with me. All of you together are the one body of Christ, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. I, want, I just want to set you free because God created you to need him and to need other people. God created you to need him and need other people. That's a part of how he, he keeps us humble. You know, my poor wife Wanda had uh, rotator cuff surgery six weeks ago and on her right arm. And so for the last six weeks, her right arm has been immobilized, and she can't use her arm at all. She can't care for herself. She can't drive. Now, you gotta, you got to understand the irony of this, because my wife is absolutely the most independent person I've ever known. Um, I need her 10 times more than she needs me, except for the last six weeks. <laughs> 
And it's been, it's been interesting because it's so hard for her. At one point, I had to say, you got to stop saying thank you. Because, you know, it's kind of like all these things she can't do. And we were having to learn this whole new groove as I, I had to help her shower. I had to, you know, blow dry her hair. I had to curl her hair. I had to put her earrings in. So when you see all those marks on her scratches, you know, that's me going, you know, kind of, I don't know how you women do this stuff. This is just nuts, you know. So. But, it, but it's, what's interesting is it, it's for Wanda, she's had no choice other than to say, I need your help. I need your help. Yeah, and I thought a lot about this. I thought, you know, for, for all of us, can we just be honest? It, it's one thing to say, I have weaknesses. The real act of humility is saying, I need your help. And we do need one another. Amen? Now, let me tie that to another thought. Own your mistakes. Own your mistakes. Well, it's church, Sunday morning, great place to confess. How many of you make mistakes? Yeah. How many of you willingly admit them? Yeah, three of you. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's one of the great story in, in Luke chapter 15 about the prodigal son. And if you remember the story, the, the young man asked his father for his share of the inheritance. Father gives it to him. He goes out. Bible says he spends it all in wild living. And so when he's finally broke, he ends up in a pigsty feeding the pigs. And the Bible says he's so hungry, he wants to eat what he's feeding the pigs. That's hungry, okay? And, and as, he's, as he's doing this, uh, as he's, he gets to that point, there's a great verse that says, and when he came to his senses, I love that verse. He said, I'm going to go home to my father. Now, don't miss this. I want you to notice the attitude with which he went home to his father. Because when he went home to his father, what he said was, Father, I have sinned against you and against heaven. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Please just let me be a servant. You got to get this. Don't miss this. You know what made this so special? I want you to notice what the son didn't say. He didn't blame anyone for where he was. Are you getting this? He didn't blame anyone. You see, how easy would it have been for him to say, Dad, if you wouldn't have given me the money, I wouldn't have blown it. Or if mom would have stopped me, she knows I can't handle stuff like that. How come she didn't stop me? Or, or if my big brother wouldn't have been mean to me, I never would have left home in the first place. I mean, he could have used any number of, but he didn't. It was his willingness to own that mistake that allowed the father to receive him, give him a seat at the table again, put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, and welcome him home. Own your mistakes. Amen? What, what's so funny is how often, you know, we, we don't want to own them. Um, we want to just uh, cover them up. Um, there was a, it's a great story. It was a great, great story. It's a horrible story, but it was, it was just pointed right exactly at this. Four years ago, you may have seen this in the news. In New York, at a nursing and rehabilitation center, there was a nurse named Vicki Price. She had a patient, a 47-year-old man in a wheelchair um, who was suffering from spina bifida. He was supposed to administer um, a muscle relaxer to him uh, for that particular day. But after she gave him the muscle relaxer, he went into convulsions, ended up going unconscious. And the, um, the paramedics came and got him, and they took him to the hospital where he actually ended up being in the hospital for four days. Um, 
After they took him to the hospital, everybody was trying to figure out what in the world was going on with him. Well, Vicki went back to see, you know, what, what, what could have caused this? When she went back, she realized instead of giving him a muscle relaxer, she had, minist- had administered morphine to him. And that was the cause of this seizure and stuff that he had. But rather than call the hospital and say, hey, here's what's going on so you know how to deal with it, or rather than own her mistake, what she did was she didn't tell anyone. She said nothing. In fact, she went back to the paper trail and tried to, and tried to alter the documentation so that she could escape any kind of scrutiny if it came to light. Well, it did come to light. And because she didn't own it, and when it was all said and done, she ended up not only losing her job, but she ended up facing four years in prison because it's a felony offense to alter medical records like that. Not only that, but the family, as a result of her covering up her mistake, sued this nursing and rehabilitation center. They end up having to close it and ended up reopening under a different name all because someone wouldn't own their mistakes I read a study that said that when doctors willingly and openly admit their failure to a patient when they own it to a family and say there was a mistake and I made that, it is rare that the family will actually sue the doctor or the hospital for that cause simply because there's a, something healing that happens when people own their mistakes. When they don't, you see what happens. It cascades into this crisis. Now, I want you to take a step back, and I think we understand that, but it's not just about owning our mistakes in a hospital or on the job. Do you own them in your relationships? Do you own them with people that you hurt? Do you own them when you do something intentionally or unintentionally that hurts someone's feelings or you fail to follow through with something that you said you would do? You know, what I've, I've discovered is that sometimes it's really, really hard for us to look one another in the eye and admit those mistakes. Now, this is not just church this morning. We're going to do a little group therapy. How about that? Is that all right? I I just want you to repeat out loud after me. I'm sorry. That was my fault. Please forgive me. Didn't that feel good? Let's do that again. I'm sorry. That was my fault. Please forgive me. Now, look at me, and I want you to hear this loud and clear. I promise you, there are some of you, if you would take what I just shared with you home, If you would say that to your spouse, if you would say that to your children, if you would say that to your parents, if you would say that to your friend or coworker who you, if you would take that route, you could bring great healing to your life and to your relationships. Amen. Now, I I just want to unpack this just one step further, because if we're honest, some of us really stink when it comes to making an apology. Uh, For some of us, when we make an apology, our apology sounds something like this. Well, if I hurt your feelings, I'm sorry. Now, how many of you, that heals your heart when somebody says that? Like, you know, you might as well keep your mouth shut because you just made a bad, you know, bad thing worse. That, that's not an apology. I, I, on, on, on the screen, skip this scripture. Go, go, to, the, go to the own your earning. The, the, there, next one. Next slide. Sorry. One more. I'm going all the way to the end of my message now. Here we go. Apologies have three parts to them. I want to jump to this. Throw the first one up here for me. What I did was wrong. What I did was wrong. Now, I want you to hear this loud and clear. 
when, in our relationships, when, we're, when we've hurt someone, sometimes, can we be honest, what we did was in retaliation for something they did. Um, our, our kids messed up and did something. Our kids got a bad grade. Our kids spilled something at home. And, and we scream at them. And then later we feel guilty. And now we want to make, and, and so we come and we go, well, I'm sorry if I screamed at you, but you really shouldn't spill things like that. Now that doesn't help anything. Now here's what I want to say to you. What you need to say is, what I did was wrong. I should have never yelled at you like that. Forget trying to correct them. That's a different conversation. Save that for a different time. Because if you try to do both of those in one sentence or in one sitting, you're, you're never going to heal their heart. They need to know that what you did was wrong. What I did was wrong. Say that with me. What I did was wrong. Throw the next one up on the screen, please. I feel bad that I hurt you. I feel bad that I hurt you. Say that with me. I feel bad that I hurt you. Look at me. Don't, it, it's not if I hurt you. Or if your feelings got hurt when I did that. All you got to do is look at their face, look at their eyes. You know you hurt them. And it doesn't matter if it was intentional or unintentional. You know, if I, if I stomp on your foot and it hurts, or if I just walk by and step on your foot accidentally, it still hurts. It doesn't matter whether it was intentional or not. Even if you meant it unintentionally, you have to go, I'm so sorry. I know that hurt. I feel bad that I hurt you. Does that make sense? Let me give you one more. Throw the third one up here. How do I make this better? How do I make this better? What I did was wrong. I feel bad that I hurt you. How can I make this better? Ladies and gentlemen, I can't even begin to tell you how important this is in our lives and relationship. Because I'm going to tell you, probably about 80% of the problems between couples, 80% of the problems between friends is somebody's not taking responsibility for what they did and making amends. Amen? Amen. Let me, let me give you a third thought. Listen deeply before you speak freely. Listen deeply before you speak Freely. How many of you have ever um, yelled at somebody or, you know, you know, just kind of reamed somebody out about something or, or you, whether you're kids or somebody at work or wherever, you know, you've, you just got really upset with someone and then after you unloaded on them, after the fact, you found out that it really wasn't the way that you thought it was. Anybody ever do that? You feel horrible about that, which is why you want to listen deeply before you speak Freely. I love the passage of scripture. Put that up on the screen for me. James 1.19, read it out loud. You must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. There, there was a, a quote I saw last week by Brian McGill I just thought was so good. Throw that up here. He says, one of the most sincere forms of respect is actually listening to what another person has to say. And I thought about that a lot this week. That when I listen to you, I give you value. When I listen to you, especially if there's something between us, I'm telling you that your needs, your, your feelings, your hurt, your pain is more important to me than my, me getting my say. When I listen to you, I lift you. Um, it was so interesting. Um, when I was in Pennsylvania, uh, I, there was a, a, a woman who asked to meet with me. Um, I had uh, upset her by a decision that I made, and uh, she wanted to, to meet and, and to talk with me about it, and I knew she was upset. And 
And on, on my way driving to her home, I was gonna, we, she had a little picnic table, and we were going to meet right there outside of her home. On the way driving to her home, in my mind, I'm going through all of my rationale. You know, I'm going through all of the reasons that I need to give her why I made that decision and why I did this and why this is the right way to do it and why she has no right to feel the way she does and all the stuff that I'm going through in my mind as a good insecure leader. And as I, I was driving, it was one of those moments where I just felt God show up in my car and put his hand on my shoulder. And I just heard him say, Steve, don't talk. Listen. Don't talk. Listen. Don't talk. Listen. So when I, I got to her home, I pulled up and she had some iced tea set out on the picnic table and I went out and I, I sat across from her and I just kind of leaned in on the picnic table and I just said, Janet, talk to me. I know you're hurting. Tell me about how you're feeling. Now, we didn't get to a place where she still fully agreed with the decision that I made. But she felt valued. She felt heard. It was a revelation that day. Some people, they don't need to have their way. They just need to know that you're listening to them. Amen? Are you humble enough to listen? Let me give you one more. Real simple. Give God control. Give God control. Give God control. You guys will love this. Throw that picture up here. This is the car your parents are going to be getting you for your birthday this year. <laughs> this is a Ferrari uh, 430, a, a Scudera. Um, anybody here like that car? I, I, I think I would look good in that car. That looks like a good, a good pastor's car. Only made this particular model. They only made 499 of them. Um, they uh, sell a little over, uh, close to $300,000. Um, there's something about owning a car that would be worth a lot more than my house that I would find very disturbing. But uh, this, this beautiful car, this beautiful Ferrari can be yours for a mere 300 grand. There was a guy in England uh, two years ago, uh, bought one of these cars. And um, you can just picture him sitting in this car and he just, you know, he looked good. You know, he looked good. And he was so excited, so happy, and so he leaves the car dealership with his brand new Ferrari, and 50 minutes later, this is what his car looked like. Now, he walked away from this crash. He, he was just a minor injury. But when, he, when the police got to the site and they asked him, what in the world happened? He said, well, he said, you know, I got my new Ferrari, and he said, it's fast. And uh, he goes, you know, I was just smoking along. And he said, I wanted to kind of get it up there. And he said, I got going really fast. And he said, you know, he said, all of a sudden, the next thing I knew, he said, I went airborne and it burst into flames. And now he has a $300,000 pile of ashes to show for it. Make eye contact. You're not nearly as good a driver as you think. <laughs> Can I say that again? You're not nearly as good a driver as you think. Amen? Amen. Now, this is why when I, when I, <laughs> I remember that when I was preparing this week and I got to this part about giving God control, because the fact of the matter is, take driving out of the equation for a sec, most of us believe we can drive our own lives. 
Most of us believe we can seize the steering wheel of our life and we can navigate it, we can do this, and we've got control. We want God as a co-pilot. I, you know, remember those old bumper stickers? God is my co-pilot. That's where we like him in the other seat, maybe just kind of giving us advice from time to time. Look at me. You're not nearly as good a driver with your life as you think you are. And God doesn't want to be your co-pilot. He wants to be your pilot. And I'm going to tell you that it is a sincere act of humility the day you can come to a place where you acknowledge that you can't do this by yourself. You were never created to do this by yourself. The best day of your life will be the day when you get on your knees before God and you go, take control. Take control. I've made a total mess of my life. Take control. What's so sad is so many of us wait until we are a pile of ash before we come to that point. Let's be wise enough to do it when our lives are still intact. Amen? And for those of us, can we be honest? For those of us who have gotten on our knees and who have said to God, take control, and we've invited Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, can we be honest? We still have some areas where we've got our hands on the wheel. And we need to give God control. We need to give God control of that fear that's binding us. We need to give God control of that addiction that we can't break free of. We need to give God control of our marital relationship that we're making a mess of. We need to give God control of our finances that we're making a mess of. We need to give God control of these areas of our life where we're still trying to take the wheel. And we need to yield it over to him. You know what's so sad is how often when we do crash, we don't take responsibility, we blame God. You know, this guy crashes his $300,000 Ferrari, and it's like, Lord, how could you allow this to happen? And God says, I love you, but I wasn't the one behind the wheel. <laughs> I, I love this verse. It's one of my favorite passages of Scripture from Proverbs 19.3. Read it with me. People ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. And that's how we are. I got a better verse for you because this is about to be the one that we live by. Throw that one up from Proverbs 3. Read it out loud, church. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Give God control. Rachel, go ahead and come on back. I'm going to ask my prayer partners if you guys would... Go ahead and take your positions. And this morning, I want you to openly come before God with a humble heart. And particularly this morning, I want to challenge you to, to surrender some control to the Lord. Now, I, I want to do something just a, a little bit different this morning. Our ushers, and if you guys, ushers, if you guys want to go ahead and get ready as well, you can. We're, we're going to take communion this morning as, as a response but as we do this, as we get ready to, to serve communion to you, I, I want to I give you a couple of other options this morning. Um, we have uh, four prayer partners around the, the, 
the auditorium. And if you would like someone to pray specifically with you, that could be what about something about what I talked about this morning, but it could be for something else going on in your life. If you have a need, if you're facing something where you need, just feel the, someone to pray over you, these prayer partners would be more than happy to pray with you about whatever's going on uh, in your life. They'd be happy to do that. Uh, some of you, right where you are, you, you may want to just make this a moment where you lean into God. And if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you want to pray that prayer, the Bible says when we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sin. But I want to give you one more option this morning. Everybody look at me for a second. I want you to just turn your palms up like this. This is a, a symbol of Surrender. And I'm going to venture to say that there are maybe some of us who have some places in our life we've been holding on to for a while, and we need to surrender them. So here's what I want to invite you to do. If this morning, if you want a little bit more of a defining moment, I want to invite you while we sing this song just to slip out from where you are and just come here to the front. And I'm just going to invite you to just stand with your palms open as just a way of saying, God, here it is. Take control of my marriage. Take control of this addiction. Take control of my life. I need you to be at the wheel. And this morning, you can just make this your moment with God as you do that. We've got communion elements up along the altar, so you won't miss communion. We'll have that. But what we're going to do, we're going to sing this song, and then I'm going to pray a prayer, and we'll receive the communion elements together. But if it'll help you to slip out and come, I want you to feel the freedom to do that while we sing this morning. Let's give God the control. Amen. Our Father, as we come today, we're just so aware that we don't live in a culture that honors humility, but it really is the path to, to live in an exalted life. We've discovered that our jobs, our marriages, our churches, everything goes better when we approach it with a humble heart. So would you teach us the power of humility. Lord, I, I pray first of all, for maybe for those of us who we, we believe in who you are, but we've never surrendered our lives to you. And I pray today, Lord, that today would be the first step for some folks in a, just a brand new way of living, that they would know that you created them to have a Savior. You created them to need you as a guide for their life. And I pray that today would be that day where they would pray that very simple prayer and simply ask you to take control. I pray for those of us, Father, who you were speaking to us this morning about other areas of our life, about those people that we're trying to control that we need to give to you, about that marriage that we have been making a mess of that we need to give to you, about those finances that we've been living it our way and we need to live it your way, Lord, about that habit and those addictions that we, we kind of made excuses for it, but Lord, we know we haven't surrendered yet this morning. And today, Lord, we don't, we don't want you to be our, our co-pilot. We want you to be our pilot. When we get behind the wheel, it doesn't matter if it's a $300,000 Ferrari or a $10,000 Hyundai. We're not that good of drivers, Lord. We need you to be at the steering wheel of our lives. So, Father, help us to have humble hearts before you and help us to have humble hearts before one another that is willing to ask for help, is willing to admit our mistakes and our failures, and the humility to really listen to each other. 
You said it well, Jesus. Those who seek to be exalted, they'll be humbled. But if we can really humble our hearts, we can have the kinds of life that you intended for us to have. Lord, we hold in our hands today the reminder of your commitment to us. This little wafer that represents your body that was broken. This juice that represents your blood that was spilled. We got to confess that we don't really comprehend how much you love us. But we are so glad that you did. You who humbled yourself and came to become one of us. Help us now to humble ourselves before you. In your precious name we pray today. And everyone said.